Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Welcome back, Disruptors. Thank you for tuning in again. We've loved the feedback that we've gotten so far. It's been so exciting for Melissa and I. Um, The private messages of people saying how they just feel not so alone. Um, Some of them have brought us both to tears just knowing how much it's helped some people and that's really achieved more than we could even have hoped for. We were hoping we'd get a couple of listeners and we've got over a thousand so far. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you so much. We are so grateful. It's been so amazing, um, you know, to take this from an idea that Tabitha's like, hey, you want a podcast with me? And I was like, hell yeah. And we didn't really think about how we had to figure all the other steps in between out. But um, when we read those messages... It just makes it all worthwhile. All the work on the back end, getting this out there to you guys, it makes every step worthwhile. It warms our hearts and it keeps us going episode to episode. So thank you so much. And if you like what you hear and you haven't had a chance to hit that button and subscribe or write us a review, please take a few moments out of your day to do it because it just does mean the world to us. No, we would really, really appreciate it. But this week we're going to talk about 2020 and it's been a year. It has been a year. We're about to enter the last month of this year and Tabitha and I yeah, really can't, right? Nobody can wait for this year to be over. Um, It definitely has not been ideal. Our lives have been disrupted in multiple ways. Um, Our professional lives have certainly been disrupted and um, it's just, you know, we just want to kind of talk about like how it affected each of us personally, some of our colleagues that we know and how we've been coping and dealing and managing it because it's been, of course, every profession, every person, everyone in this entire planet has been affected by this pandemic. But, um, you know, we're going to dig into how it affects dentistry and dental hygiene and that our relationship um, within the dental practice between dental hygiene and dentists and then dental hygienists and assistants and the front end, the business end, the back end. It's, it's really been a tough situation. Yeah, it's been, it's been a year. And like, I was actually talking to someone about this yesterday. I'm not someone that gets a lot of anxiety, but this year it's been a really, I've, I've suffered from a lot of anxiety and I think it's just been COVID fallout. Um, you know, I have had those panic attacks and been quite stressed and it's just with everything going on and, t- and that overload of, especially when we first came into it, when we're all really scared. And I think that's the only way to really describe it. We didn't know what the risk was at being at work. We didn't know how risky it was even just going outside. And, right. you know, it was scary. Like I was genuinely, when it first happened, well, when it first happened, actually, I was quite oblivious in that January, February, I was traveling around America in February, March, right. visiting and I know, and, you know, I got to see you. <laughs> we kind of thought that it was an issue happening in Asia and it was going to be like SARS and we were going to be 
fine and this is going to be an issue that Asia would deal with and it would be over in a month or two. And I really did think that. And then when I came back into Australia and had to quarantine and um, and it really got real really quickly, um, it's that's when I started to go into like quite quite stressed. Yes, yes. I remember the weekend before things got locked down here in the United States, um, I reached out to some of my colleagues. I reached out to uh, the president of ADHA and I was like, what is, what is ADHA stance on this? Should we be working? What should we be doing? And um, it was Matt Crespin who was president at the time. And he sent me some information to read. And I was really grateful that he did that. And I read through some of the documents um, that were coming out of China at the time. And it just everything that I was reading, I'm like, the way I'm interpreting this, we shouldn't be treating patients right now, at least not for anything that could. The thing for me is that the risk of doing the treatment is not, I'm saying this wrong. Thank you for editing. (laughs) The benefit always must outweigh the risk. And risk ratio. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And that's how, I mean, that thank thank God for my professors. They drilled that in my brain right from day one, that any treatment you're providing, the benefit must always outweigh the risk. And and one of my favorite things to say to my patients is that my job is to get you healthier and my job is to keep you out of that chair across the hall. So if I can't do that and know that that benefit is higher than the risk, then I have to step back and reassess. And after reading those documents, I made the decision before the country made the decision to tell my employer I wasn't comfortable coming to work. And he shut the office down that next day, electively, before our government did. So I was very appreciative of that. Um, but there was there was definitely the f- moral fatigue of it because we didn't know enough in the beginning and we were definitely way over the top. I mean, our president told us to drink bleach. <laughs> I'll just leave we that there. <laughs> but, I mean, my husband and I will laugh now. We're embarrassed about how like we went to the grocery store in like a, a, those masks that you wear, like it looked like we had hazmat suits and masks on to go to the grocery store. And I had a table in my garage where I disinfected my groceries every time I brought them back in the home. Oh, like my food was not the kitchen And I was cleaning all my groceries when I bought them in. You know? I think the unknown was the tricky bit in the beginning. The what, what is this? What are we dealing with? How, you know, how is this going to move? Like we really just didn't know. And it was quite interesting because obviously we were in contact as well as the other girls from um, Implants Uncovered. We were actually quite in a lot of contact with each other, especially in that beginning. And it was really interesting to see how as dental hygienists and dent- and dentistry in general in both countries, we were just getting left to fend for ourselves. The government wasn't making a rule. No one was saying anything and we were just all freaking out. And you know, no one wants to go to work and potentially get something taken home to their kids or or to their grandparents or to their partners. And, and these are all things that we're all thinking about. You know, I have a friend who has a child that's got no immune system and is really high risk. Yeah. So a really stressful time for her. Or I've got another friend who unfortunately is high risk herself with a lowered immune system. And so 
I was lucky that I didn't have those things on top of it to think about and I really felt for them. But that first part where we were just waiting for people to tell us to lock down because we didn't know what was going to happen, it was it was really it was really mentally draining and I think all of us are getting to the end of this year and feeling a bit fatigued because we're still dealing with that emotional you know weight that we have had to carry this year you know and on top of that when we're locking down I think there was this sense of complete relief like thank god we don't have to go to work I'm not at risk and then there was this shit am I gonna be able to feed my kids (laughs) you know we had from oh we're not going to work to oh my god I've got no money like and so it did not like when we got to stay home we all just went oh we've got a paid vacation now we're all worrying about how we're going to pay our bills and do all this other stuff so it was it was horrible it really just sucked it really (laughs) did suck and and you know my husband and I when I said because my daughter's asthmatic so in the beginning not knowing enough all I thought was I was going to bring this home and she was going to be in the hospital yeah you know because she her lungs are not strong like regular people's are. So I just was really concerned about that. And, um, you know, he and I sat down and we were like, how, how, what do we do? How can we make this work? And we, you know, here's all the fat we could trim on our budget and you stay home for now. And like, luckily our government did put some, um, things in play to offset not being able to work. Um, but you know, that, it didn't, it wasn't forever and it was really nice yeah. when we had it. But, um, you know, you, the reality is, is that w- you just, it's such a difference and you have to figure out how to make it work. I think one of the best things for me personally was that I learned how to stretch a dollar a heck of a lot further <laughs> than before. So, you know, when, when things settle into our new normal, then um, I'll be able to budget my money differently. And I've also, I think, here's the positive things that have come out of COVID. Number one, we've realized that a lot of the material things, at least this has happened within my family, a lot of the material things that we thought were so essential in our lives, we've realized are not that essential and we can live without them and live a happy life without them. Um, We've gotten to spend a lot more quality time together because you just can't go out and do things like you used to do before. And um, I think professionally, it's it's definitely shined a light on areas within our profession that we needed to do better anyway. You know, infection control is so important. And the whole time, you know, dentistry wanted to get back open in the U.S., they kept saying, we're specialists at infection control. We we been doing this for years. We're this, we're that, which to me, and I'm sorry if you're listening dentists and you don't like what I'm about to say, but you guys don't do infection control. Everyone else, you kind of suck at it. You're the biggest offenders of it. And if you're (laughs) your dental assistants and your hygienists that keep that, we follow you around the office with sprays and wipes because you're touching things you shouldn't be touching. So the, you know, for us, the hypocrisy of that statement, we were like, Wah! so it's kind of like give, a, at least for the first time, 
in in the history of dentistry, give credit where credit's due. Just get on that that interview for NBC Nightly News to, to defend why dentistry should be open and say, I have a team of infection control specialists that I manage and I make sure they have the up-to-date knowledge and every material that they need to take care of our patients and make sure our practice is safe. I think that the discord that went down between hygiene and dentistry probably would have been a lot less because we literally just do not get the recognition ever. We instead get, you guys are cryogenists, you just don't want to go back to work and this, 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 and this, where I get that we don't have that pressure of running a business on our backs. I totally understand that. I totally see how it's tough. And sometimes you're worrying about floating payroll that week. I get all that stress. But dentistry needs to do better at recognizing their team and dentists need to be better leaders. And if they aren't good at being a a leader, then they need to find an admin person that's going to do that job for them and take care of your people. The more you take care of your people, the more they're going to take care of you and your patients and your practice and the success, the numbers, they just flow from there. And it's so frustrating from where I stand because a lot of dentists don't see that. And I'm I'm sorry if you're listening and you're feeling offended. It's not meant to offend. It's meant to raise awareness so that we can find new ways to do better. Because we are not post-COVID. I'm so tired of also seeing, you know, webinars or articles that say post-COVID, dentistry post-COVID. We are not post-COVID. We are in COVID. Yeah, look, in America, you are in the in numbers <laughs> that were higher than the, when we first locked down, and I find that quite interesting. Um, in Australia, in the state that I'm in, we've gone, um, I think we're on day 15 of no new cases. That's um, fantastic. We still have cases, but we're nearly gone, and we have had a, a new outbreak in another state, unfortunately, due to a... Um, a breach at one of the quarantine hotels and, and a staff member got it but and they pass it on to family members but we we've definitely got different numbers to america where you know i'm feeling i'm not feeling that fear that i was feeling when we kind of first went into it i'm feeling like we've controlled it quite well and but we've been very strict here and, and it's been a very different response um when i look at the numbers in america I feel panicked for you guys. They're high numbers. Like, and you're not post-COVID. You're, and we're not post-COVID even with good numbers because the reality is you have a breach at a quarantine hotel and then you can have an outbreak again. It just needs one person. So we're going to be living with COVID for a long time and that's the reality of it, unfortunately. It's not going away tomorrow or in, you know, when we wake up in 2021, it's still going to be here. I know we're all wishing for 2021 because we just hated 2020 so much. Right. We're not going to wake up 2021 to a COVID-free world. And so we really have to start learning how to adapt, how to move. And, you know, that some changes are going to be. I, I, the positives I see is, I don't know if this is happening in Australia, but in, in America, but in Australia, a lot of our shops have reduced their hours because they're not as busy. Some of and them have so like 24-hour seven days a week anymore and so I think this is a good thing I think as a society in whole we were just pushing ourselves to want this 24 7 instant instant life and it's come back a little bit because it's not financially worth it at the moment for those businesses to do it and that demands off people they can 
have more time with their family. You know, we can organise ourselves. People have time to go do things. I think the ability to work from home for a lot of businesses, it's shown productivity. It's going to give working mums a lot more flexibility, um, a lot more freedom and a lot more respect because I think we've been the ones pushing as women for that work-life balance a bit more because we naturally take on more of the caregiving role. And we've always been discriminated against it for it and we've always had a lot of pushback for it but really there's no reason why this hasn't shown us that more men can stay at home we can start sharing this role more and we can make working from home the new norm so that parents can raise their children and have a job and I think that's the positive that I see coming from this that we're going to see more of that flexibility moving forward and another huge positive that I think I've seen is I think patients overall are really getting a bit more savvy about how important health is mm-hmm. and savvy. they're really looking at they're seeing that the people that die of covid have comorbidities the people that die of covid have chronic diseases the people that die of covid aren't looking after themselves as well some of them not all of them but generally like, you know they're not eating properly they're not exercising they're you know if you're overweight and you've got diabetes and cardiovascular disease and all of these things your risk is higher now. Unfortunately, you could be healthy, and it, and it has been, you know, has been fatal for some of those people. But your risk is really increased with these comorbidities. And I've definitely seen patients thinking about, I need to actually start looking after myself more. I need to think about what I'm eating. I need to think about, and that goes back to that life work balance as well. As like, you know, I, and I figured that like I'm a workhorse, and I've realised that the last couple of years, God, like last year, I had five weekends off. That's crazy. And I'm like, you know, I, I can't keep doing that. I need to get a better work-life balance as I picked up a postgraduate degree and nearly cried every night. But like, <laughs> I just really sat and ate all my feelings for six months. But like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's, let's not make a whole other topic right there. You and I could go off on that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Eating your feelings. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, I've been eating a lot of feelings the last six months, but. You know, I, I do see some positives. It's been a difficult year. I do not want to take away from that. For sure. I, You know, in the middle of the pandemic, I we weren't allowed to drive anywhere unless it was to get something. And so I decided to drive to McDonald's and I ate a Big Mac in the car park while I cried. And uh, just to have purpose to leave the house to cry. And I rang one of my friends and she said to me, you can't do that. Like, you're not allowed to just be somewhere and parked. Like, you have to be driving there. You pick the stuff up and drive home. And I said, well, there's about 30 other women crying with their Big Macs in cars parked in this car park. (laughs) 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 It'll be fine. But it was, you know, it was really overwhelming in that first, you know, we laugh about it now, but I did sit in the car and cry and just think, I need to get away from my kids and um, I want to go to work. Yeah, it was an adjustment. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it was such an adjustment. Like we were so busy with our lives. Like, you know, I have two teenage kids that play sports, do activities, this, that, and the other thing. And we were always running, running, running. Like our days were scheduled down to the minute, you know, leave the house, go to work, come home, take this one to practice, then run this one here, come back and get that one. The coordination of the day, it was like, it was like playing Tetris with the calendar. But, you know, when it all came to a screeching halt, it was like, Oh, what do we do? Like after the first week, it was kind of like, okay, this uh, this is nice. I caught up on some sleep. I cleaned my whole house. Like my house literally was never so clean. 
and, you know, did all those little things that you never got to do. And then like by week two, you're like, okay, I'm running out of stuff. And then by week three, you're like, oh, I'm stuck with all you again. <laughs> you know? it, gets, it gets challenging for sure. And it's it's just, it's interesting because I think it's all perspective. I think people too don't want to admit when they're having a hard time. So I applaud you for saying, you know, you had a Big Mac and cried in the car because people don't want to be that vulnerable either. And it's totally okay. It's, it's part of humanity to be vulnerable. You know, I totally cried a bajillion times. Like I, especially when things were opening back up and our state gave us little to no guidance as to how to handle going back and things just weren't falling in line the way I needed it to be, to be comfortable going back. And I made that decision to not return to my practice under these circumstances that I literally cried for probably two weeks. And yeah, I think, um, especially in that first bit when, you know, we're shutting down and when we first went into lockdown as well, no one knew how long it was going to be. Are we not going to be in dentistry for six months? We were talking about maybe. And for a lot of us, and I know a lot of our disruptors that are listening, they're listening because we're all similar and we're really passionate about dental. And it's become so much of my identity and who I am as a person. Because it's, you know, I live and breathe work because I love it. I love working, you know, and you and I like that. We're very similar. We love working. We love all the stuff that comes with working. And and then it's like, well, without work, who am I? What am I? Yeah. Who am I? <laughs> you know, if I have to get a new career, like, what do I do? Because this is all I know. I don't have any other skills. I, I remember thinking that I, I can't do another job because I don't know what else to do. <laughs> like, and that was really scary because I was like, I actually and not even qualified to go work at the supermarket because I don't even know how to do that. Like I just know how to do teeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there was the the fact that, you know, you and I are also very particular about how we practice dental hygiene and the way we do it and the technology we use. And we are so focused on disrupting biofilm. Part of the reason why our name is disrupting dentistry. Um, so to, be told to go back and not be able to do that. I was like, well, well what's the point? Like, what, how, how am I going to ethically go back to work and charge a patient full price and not give them full service? And how, how do, how, how are you putting these limitations on me, telling me it's safe, but telling me not to do A, B, C, and D? When across the hall, the doctor is using an aerosol generating device. So there's, there were so many levels of just in it, it. What is the word I'm looking for? Where it's not, it wasn't the same. It wasn't, it, and it wasn't um, cohesive in the message that we were getting either. So I think right. for us, we, you know, they were really good with trying to give us a decision tree with how to approach people so that you could take a different approach with each person when we're coming back, no aerosol use. But for a lot of people, they found that decision tree really hard and then they didn't, um, you know, they wanted a one-size-fits-all and it wasn't there. And then, you know, my big thing was is I don't want to come back and treat every single patient with hand scalers when I'm not getting off the biofilm 
I know I'm removing cementum. And what's the risk versus benefit ratio? And that's how I looked at every patient. Is your Do you have severe perio and no matter what I do, it's going to be of a benefit because we just need to get rid of some of this stuff and you're in a lot of inflammation? Then, yeah, I can help you. But if you've got a healthy mouth and it, and it can wait, I just ethically couldn't bring myself to charge full price for something where I could do harm to not get that much of a benefit. Right. It, it just didn't sit with me and that was a really difficult situation because you didn't just have what you ethically wanted to make that decision you had someone that wanted you to make money for them as well right because it's again there's that aspect of the business side of dentistry and again I I understand a business there's got to be the profit and loss it has to measure up like you can't have more loss than profit then you no longer have a business I, I get all that stuff and I think that I don't know in the U.S. if hygienists just don't care enough about that side of it. Um, We definitely aren't taught enough of it in school to understand that. I don't think dentistry in general is taught enough about a business. We're so focused on learning how to treat patients that when it comes to running a business on top of that, it's I see how super stressful that is for dentistry. Uh, You know, for dentists, it's... It's hard. I get that. And then trying to do right by people and trying to keep your team happy. It's, there's so much going on. I'm not oblivious to that. And, and a lot of my colleagues are not either. But I think that there's just such a lack of focus on when, when you really take care of your team, your team then takes care of you. And a lot of that backlash that we saw happening when, you know, dentistry was really pushing in, in the U.S. to open back up. And we were kind of like, wait, hold up. We still don't know enough. We still don't have the science. We still don't have this. We still don't have that. And, you know, the thing that makes me crazy is that there's this small group that's yelling oral systemic, oral systemic way before COVID came into play. Now, all of a sudden, all of dentistry is saying oral systemic, oral systemic. But what kind of oral systemic are you really talking about? Because I've had so many conversations with so many different practitioners recently. And when we talk oral systemic, we're not talking the same language. No. Um, I think some people are talking oral systemic, get in my chair and let me make money. Mm -hmm. And then some people are talking oral systemic, I actually want to look at a full body approach to your health. Right. I had a, and out there. <laughs> yeah. Right. I had a conversation with a dentist recently and um, we were discussing guided biofilm therapy and he said he did not like it and I asked why. And he said that he's trained with some of the best periodontists in the country and they all firmly believe that in order to get reattachment you must remove cementum. <gasps> yeah. My Pride. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I was. My soul died a little bit when I heard that. Um, and I would just. I just did, you, did you meet with those best periodontists in the country 35 years ago? Well, that was. <laughs> I, did, I did bring that up. I said, well, that, that was the approach for many years. And we do have better ways to treat patients where we could be maximally effective and minimally invasive. And he said, no, this way has worked for 30 years and it continues to do just fine. And I said, well, this was a great conversation. I'm going to keep my bi- guided biofilm therapy and you keep doing what you're doing. I hope that I've enlightened you of, of 
different treatment approaches that your patients could really benefit from. And if you ever want any more information about guided biofilm therapy, you have my number. Yeah, I think um, we're still catching up to realizing how important minimally invasive dentistry is and how important treating the patient as a whole is. And there's some amazing dentists and hygienists and OHTs and specialists out there who are really, you know, leading the way with that and really trying to push that. But there's still a lot of people that need to catch up to the science, to the information. And like I always say when I'm lecturing, I'm saying this now because I wholeheartedly believe it. I may not believe it in five years, so don't hold me to this forever. Right. webinars because I'm like god someone will play this webinar back to me in 10 years I'm like yeah god I science changes it evolves we learn more and I know that really upsets some people sometimes when they're like but I learned this when I graduated and now it's different exactly well it's just like we got rid of the pedal drill or just like we stopped going with a horse and car it's not because they weren't state of the art at that time no one is ever debating that At that moment in time, that was the gold standard. But what we're saying is it constantly moves. And if it stays still, then that's really upsetting because we should always, you know, scientists, we're just really learning the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg on the oral bacteria and what's happening. And I think it's a really exciting time in dentistry because we're learning so much more and we're understanding so much more. But it's going to keep changing. It's going to keep evolving and it's going to keep getting better and better, which is fantastic because I think I I just feel myself in my short career compared to how much things have changed over the whole of dentistry, it's changed so much. Totally. And so I'm like, this is awesome. And I think COVID will bring some new changes, some new science, some new research, some new information. Absolutely. And it just, we need, we've always needed to do better in aerosol management. And we have been left to take care of and manage our own aerosols my entire professional career of over 20 years. So it, you know, would I love to have an assistant with me? I know a lot of um, you guys over overseas, you have the ability to have a nurse with you. I've never, now you're shaking your head. No, you've not. I've, I've never had one. I've had some geriatric patients that needed me to utilize my aerosol generating technology, but couldn't handle just me suctioning alone. And I've had to call an assistant over for a hand every now and then, but I've never had a dedicated assistant who was managing aerosols for me while I was working. And we, you know, what, in dentistry, I get there's other steps where you need four hands. Totally understand it. But, you know, w- what would it hurt for that assistant to be in my room? How long are we using that device? It's not the entire appointment, you know? So if we just, there's, it's all figure outable. And there's yeah. such an easy way to make each other happy in the practice and happy people or productive people, right? Yeah. I- I definitely think we've seen that. Like I, I want to say I know there's been some amazing dentists out there that really supported their staff through this. And so, and I, and like you said, I'm not oblivious to how hard it was to be a dentist through this when you're thinking about how am I going to pay my staff? How am I going to keep this business still standing for when they come back? Right. The stress they would have been under was horrific. That's the only way you can describe it. It's just horrific. And I felt really, really bad for them especially new owners and young ones that have just come out with debt up to their eyeballs and now this happening yeah there has been a wedge really you know 
really hammered down between us and we need to heal that Mm -hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, we're a team and both of us only work well really when we're working well as a team. Now, we're really lucky in Australia you can have independent practice, but you need to be referring for a dentist for some of the work. Like you're always going to be in some kind of relationship with each other. And I'm really lucky. I'm at a practice where I have got a lot of respect and I am in a really good but um, work environment in my clinical practice, but I haven't always been and I know how hard it is when you're not. And it's really important that we get more cohesive and we get more respectful of each other's careers and each other's skills. We each bring something different and I think what dental hygienists bring to a practice is actually massive. What we, what we bring to that practice with the relationships that we build, with the preventative care that we give, with the time that we're given, because we are afforded a lot more time to talk and to teach our patients that the dentist doesn't get, that they don't afford for themselves because they're, they've got other work to do. So we are in a really lucky situation with the time we get with patients and the difference we really get to make to their health. And we are really important. And I think that's what a lot of people felt like when we got shut down and we couldn't work, that we got told we were no longer essential. I don't think anyone was saying our job wasn't essential. I never took it that way. What I thought it, saw it as is you are essential and that's why we're keeping you home because we're keeping you not at risk. You know, it wasn't, we were not essential to be at risk. And that was it. You know, unfortunately, there were professionals that had to keep going, like the ER doctors and all of those people. And, you know, I felt really sorry for them because they must have been more scared than us. Of course. You know, you know and they're fighting it and it's in their face. But we we are essential. I don't think and I just don't want anyone to feel like after what happened that they're not essential. We are a very essential part of health. It just at that time, decisions had to be made, especially when we didn't know as, you know, we still are learning. But when we were shutting down in March, we were all just didn't know what was going to happen. No, we had no idea. We didn't have the data. We didn't have the evidence. We had we didn't know anything. And as we progress through living in a COVID world, we just keep on learning more. And we have to make decisions based on science, not on emotion or feelings or money. And that's that's what it really comes down to. And that's why, you know, finding a home to practice with sometimes can be challenging because you want to be able to do dental hygiene and practice based on following that science and based on benefit risk ratio. And you come into these places and you say, this is how I treat patients. This is what I do. And this is what I need to do it in. And this is the rate I get for providing A, B, C, and D. And there's a lot of pushback. Yeah. And it's hard. You know, I I get it's hard for them too. And, And one of the things that I've heard recently in these conversations I'm having with these different dental practices is that I had one dentist say, I love all the things you're telling me and I want all of it for my practice, but I have so many people in my practice that are not going to do any of that. So 
it's like who's running the show? Are the inmates running the asylum here? Like what's going on? If if and and why are we allowing other people who are okay with doing it this way because this is how we've always done it and this is how we learned it in school and it was fine then so it's fine now like how do we help our profession and our colleagues get beyond that mindset because i feel like if you just walk down this yellow brick road there's a beautiful better way to do this and it's better for you as the clinician it's better for the patient and it's amazing for the practice so it's it's tough like what how do you handle that tab because i i think that the most dangerous sentence ever said i do it because it's the way i've always done it i hate that sentence when you get that back as a as a pushback of why i'm not going to change i think that change And look, I will admit I'm someone that thrives on change. And when things aren't changing, if things are stagnant for me, I actually get quite anxious and antsy. And and I don't want to take apart that some people change is quite anxiety driven for them. And so it is hard. So I I recognize that and that it's a lot easier for me to change than some other people. But in saying that, change is inevitable. And I really, really do agree 100% that if you are not moving forward, you're going backwards. We're never still in life. You're only moving in one of those directions. It's forward or backwards. And you've got to make the decision. Am I going to move forwards? And maybe you're going to fail forwards, but that's okay. (laughs) Totally, totally. You can make mistakes. You can fail. It cannot work. That's fine. But it's if you're doing nothing and failing backwards, that's when it's a problem. Right. And I think I, I really agree with you that change and changing our mindsets, that's the way we've always done it. How can we improve things? How can we change things? How can we just improve the patient experience or our communication? There's so many different things that we can look at. And that's why we have continuing education. Of course. And it's not just for ticking boxes. It's for making changes. It's for keeping up with things. And And I've had it as well where people are quite resistant to it and it, it makes me quite frustrated in some ways because I do see that that's the reason why we're doing continuing education because we're opening up our minds, we're learning about the changes, or we would never need to do continuing education if we were just going to stick with what we first learned. Exactly. It's an evolution. And not need it. But we need that change. And, you know, I remember when I was a dental assistant and patients used to say to us, oh, my mum's had perio, my brother's had perio, my dad's had perio. And we would practically laugh in their face and say, there's nothing genetic about this, just brush your teeth. I can remember being in those conversations. I can remember rolling my eyes and thinking that. Now, what have we learned? Genetics play huge roles. You can have a genetic disposition to periodontal disease. If you have had immediate family members, you are at a higher risk. Now, it won't be the reason why you get it. You still need that biofilm. You still need your host response, but your host response is huge and that genetics plays into it. And so even in the time that we've been in dentistry, we've seen these big changes. Now, if you just stuck with what you learned and then you just dismissed patients with these conversations and didn't talk about their increased risk and why they're having a more exaggerated host response compared to the person standing next to them, we have to treat these patients as a whole. It can't just be, oh, we've got biofilm, we don't have biofilm. We all know that the host response plays a huge role now. So I say to those people that don't want to change, think why. Is it because you're a bit scared? That's okay. That's normal. I feel really scared when I'm making changes. Even though I love it, doesn't mean I never not feel scared or feel anxious about it. Right. Um, but I think 
for you and I, people that do like change and do want to, you know, make changes to ourselves and our work environment and always be pushing forward to be better, that's a really important goal for both of you and I. Those practices aren't the fit for us. No. Because uh-huh. it's going to sound really douchey, but being mediocre is not something I'm like aspiring to. <laughs> no. No. Mediocre. My good friend Eileen, I'm misquoting her. But she says something all the time that um, mediocre is halfway in between failing and excellence, something along those lines. I'm not saying it right, but it's so true. Like, why why do you want to live there? Why do you want to just be status quo? I mean, I guess some people are content to do that, and, and that's what makes the world go around. We're all different we just have different ideals and and aspirations and goals. And, and like you said, what one person um, change could be invigorating somebody else. It's induces great anxiety and panic. So, you know, we're all wired differently and that's, that's the beauty of humanity. But how do we, how do we come together when it's bigger than us? Right? Like our profession is bigger than each of us individually so how do we come together to lift this up and take it to the next level? Because it's time to take it to the next level. Science is demanding it of us to take it to the next level. And it's not dental science. It's medical science. Medical science is showing us time and time and time again how much there is an impact, a positive, systemic, overall wellness impact on people when we manage biofilm. Yes, we need to get rid of calculus, but it, it, it's not our main focus anymore. We have to drive biofilm. And even, you know, seeing, seeing when people still talk about soft tissue management programs, that's like 1990s called and they wanted their STM program back. Like we have to move forward. I'm trying to be funny about it, but you know, like we... <laughs> We have to move forward. We that's not savvy anymore, right? We should, and even the way we code it here in America, we're still calling it scaling and root planing. Hello, that's why people are still standing behind room removing cementum. We're still using yeah. old terminology. Like it's non-surgical periodontal therapy. That's what we're doing. End of story. It's it's your NSPT program now. And yeah. you know what? And like you said, five years from now, if somebody listens to that, it's probably going to be something different. And that's okay. Let's do it. Look at the date of this podcast when you listen, please. Okay. Um, but, you know, like we, we have to, it's our obligation to our patients to keep growing that we took an oath. We took an oath, a dental hygiene oath, a dentistry oath. We take oaths. And I think that in 2021, I encourage every dental hygienist, uh, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. Here's my 2021 gift from myself and Tabitha, and I'm just including her, and she doesn't even know what's about to come out of my mouth. I am go- <laughs> I'm going to make a printable, a really cute printable of our dental hygiene oath. I don't know if it's different. You have to send me yours because I'm not sure yeah. if yours you don't have one? Okay. Well, we're all using Americas. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to create a printable of the oath. I'm going to make it free and downloadable on our 
because we're getting a website, guys. We're moving up in the world. So it, it's going to be on our website. I'll make sure it's a link is available on our social media for the time being. But I encourage every single one of you to go get a frame at the dollar store and print this out and hang it on your wall. So your patients see how you take this seriously. So your dentists and your colleagues in the practice see how you take this seriously. And if there's ever an ethical situation that arises in that office, look at that oath. If it defies any word in that oath, then there's your answer. You don't do it. And I encourage a lot of new clinicians to you know, sit down and write your personal mission statement for yourself as a practicing clinical hygienist. What is your mission? And then this way, you can even hang that up in your operatory too. And if your mission and your vision for your patients, here's my mission as a hygienist and my vision is to help my patients not have oral disease that affects their total body health and wellness, you know? And then this way they understand your standpoint. They know what your goal is for them. Are you going to have to tweak how you do that for each individual? hundred percent. But the goal and the vision remain the same. And this way, you also have that to refer back to if somebody within the practice is questioning something you're doing or, you know, you want X amount of time to do a non-surgical scaling of two quads and somebody's giving you a hard time about that's more than what we want to book, you could say, here's why and point to it right there. This is what I need. These are the time, the tools, and technology, your three T's that I need to do my job at the level that it needs to be done. And that's it. Like I get really upset when hygienists message me on Facebook or call me, not upset that they contacted me, but upset with some of the stories that they they tell me sometimes. Yes. So it really upsets me when they're saying I don't have proper hand instruments or I don't have scalar tips that aren't blunt and I don't have this. It's unacceptable that we're asked to work like that. Absolutely. Because I never expect to see the dentist working without a drill and he's going to like hand pick out that filling. (laughs) How many, how many drill bits that they use on their hand pieces are disposable? They're one yeah. time, one and done, right? So yes, I get that's an overhead expense. I understand that. But like, why is it so ingrained in so many practices mindset that you set hygiene up one time yeah. and you never need an upgrade? <laughs> and this is what I say to people all the time. Talk about budgeting. How much money is going to go into the hygiene department. The pre- I like to call it the preventative care department. How much money is going to go into the preventative care department each year for instruments and for equipment? Then set a budget for the year and then don't have to go and beg, borrow and steal for a scalar tip. Exactly. We know how much it costs and then we say to the front desk, I've got my budget for equipment and this is coming out of it. Now, it's really important that we do have stuff... Things aren't meant to last forever. And there's scientific research on how long an ultimate tip should last for or how long a hand instrument should last for in in uses. So you can think about that. Well, you know, obviously if you have less equipment, it's not going to last as long because you're using it more. So that needs to be a discussion. You only bought me four tips, so I'm going to go through them faster than if I have seven tips because they're turning over faster. This is the that have to be taken into account. How fast am I turning over my instruments? How many patients am I expected to see per day, per week, per month, per year? And then talk about, well, look, 
I've got five tips. They're going to need replacing around about here. I need a budget for this. My hand instruments are going to be replaced here. And then this is what I need for the year to keep me running instrument-wise. And then don't and then don't have to beg, borrow, and steal every time you need one thing. At the end of the day, I personally think that ultrasonic tips and hand instruments are consumables and you order yeah. them when you need them. Yeah. But that's not going to be the message we get to run home very easily. They're treated as instruments, not as consumables in practices. Right. So, but we need to have a budget for them then because you it's not fair to your patient that you use equipment that doesn't work properly and they don't get a good job because of it. Exactly. And and then you can also be causing itrogenic damage to your patient in the process. Um, we have learned, Noelle Paschke just did an awesome episode um, on A Tale of Two Hygienists about using your ultrasonic tips and with aerosol management. And she spoke in our group, Dental Implants Uncovered, uh, early on into the pandemic about uh, aerosol management and using ultrasonics as well. And she talks specifically about when that tip is worn, you're generating more aerosols. And, and then when you're also, it's no longer adequate, right? We're not able to use it as efficiently anymore. So you're working longer. So it's an increased working time, more aerosols. So all the things that we're trying to manage better, if we're not given the right tools and technology and budget to do so, to replace these things periodically, it's like spitting in the wind. Yeah. Right? And also great research as well. When you have a look at ultrasonic scalar tips, when you're losing length on them, no matter what brand you're using, when you're losing length on them, you're losing time, like you said. You're losing patient comfort. You're losing operator comfort. But the biggest thing that the research shows us is you're roughening up the root surface. Mm-hmm. So there is research to support that, that when you're working with a blunt instrument, you're roughening up the surface and the the length of your instrument and the quality of your instrument should be taken into the same account, equal account as your angulation and the pressure that you use and your technique. Now, you can have the technique that's as good as anything that ever existed, but if you don't have the instruments that are any good, it doesn't matter how skilled you are. Nope. It, I stayed in a hotel the other night and I got room service and because of COVID, they didn't have like proper room service came up, it came like in a box and I ordered a steak and I tried to eat the steak with a plastic fork and I snapped it, right? So, you know, it was just awful. I'm trying to eat a steak with a plastic fork and knife and I snapped it. That's what it's like working with instruments that aren't working properly. Exactly. If you're not doing an efficient job, I got there, but was it enjoyable? Was it nice? Did I even enjoy the meal as much that I was trying to rip apart with a broken fork? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And that's what causes that, you know, that discord within the office when you have a a angry, frustrated hygienist and she's just walking around with a puss on her face or he all day long. And you're like, why, why is this person in my practice so unhappy? Well, because their body aches and they're frustrated and they're trying to do good work with crap equipment. And that happening day after day after day, there's a cumulative effect on that. And when you're lying in bed at night and you're trying to get comfortable, but every part of your upper body is aching and you can't even find a position to rest in, to rejuvenate for the next day. And your hand as you're driving home literally is like throbbing and you would love to just like rip it off and throw it out the window because it hurts so bad. I know this is extreme, but that's me. Sorry. Um, (laughs) You know, like it's, that's what makes you not want to get out of bed and go to work and do this awesome, provide this awesome care for our patients day in and day out. And that's where, that's where like, 
I get that dentists have that too. I get that they have the same ergo issues we have. I, I understand they're in the same position, but I feel that for some reason, hygiene issues are just like we're divas, we're crying, we're 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 cryogenists, we're just complainers. And I don't know why we've gotten there. I don't know how to rewrite that. You know, we we are the lifeblood of the practice. We are we we are what's constantly driving production. As busy as our schedule is, is as busy as your schedule is. We feed your chair. And I just don't understand why we can't find a better way to all work together and, and just provide everybody with what they need. I will give you what my job is to give you. And just all I need in return are the tools, the time, and technology to do mine and do it well. I don't know why that's so hard. When you look at some of the research that Celso has presented that you and I have both um, watched before, who's a um, dental hygienist from Switzerland, and at the practice, he was running a multi-practice um, centre. And so they got a lot of really good data over um, 45 practices who have hygienists in all the practices and are uh, hygienists strong. And what they found is that the production in the dentist book, 70% came from the hygiene room. Of course it did. So, you know, we're not just driving the production in our own room. We're driving the fillings and the crowns and the implants in the other rooms as well because we're having those conversations. We're identifying the issues. We're talking about health. We're explaining the treatment plans. We're doing all that work. And it's important that we've got the tools to be able to do that work properly. Exactly. And back to our patients and make sure that we're providing comprehensive care as well. And that goes down to time as well. Like I'm very, very lucky I'm given an hour for all of my patients, but I know that that has not been the case for me my whole career. I quit a job because they did, I started with an hour, it went to 45 minutes, and then he pushed me to 30 and I quit because I couldn't do my job in 30 minutes. No. And lots of dental hygienists around the world that are fighting about time at the moment, and I know that, and it's hard because can we do a clean really quickly? No one's saying we can't. <laughs> we're not the argument we're having. No one's saying I can't do that clean really quickly. But I haven't even sat the patient down in the chip, like laid them back in the first 15 minutes. By the time I've done medical history, discovered how they're cleaning at home and having a good conversation before I even have a look, like I can't do it in 30 minutes. That Like it just doesn't work. And because I want to give a comprehensive appointment where I'm looking at the biofilm I stain the biofilm every time I look at it I score the biofilm I score the bleeding I do the full paratrial I'm looking at everything I want to have a comprehensive assessment so I can give a comprehensive treatment plan and discussion and we say this all the time when Melissa and I are lecturing and implants uncovered you skip one step and it and you fail like you can't you can't skip steps and expect to get the comprehensive result. No, it's not possible. Yeah. And, and that's, that's all of these things are what drives motivated hygienists to either start to get frustrated and want to leave the profession or leave a practice or on the flip side, just finally give up and say, fine, you know what? I'll put my hands up. I'll do it your way. And that's so discouraging to me because I, you know, we're taught all these things. Like we learn so much in hygiene school and especially in a two-year program 
it's like your brain wants to explode every single day because there's so much that we have to teach you in two years. And why? Why are we teaching this stuff? Are we teaching for the test or are we teaching because this is comprehensive patient care? And again, medical science keeps connecting that all these steps and biofilm, making biofilm visible and testing salivary, um, doing salivary tests to see which pathogens are in a patient's mouth and if they're beyond threshold or not, there will be part of the red complex in a healthy mouth. It just depends on what the threshold is. So again, yeah. the presence, genetics, host response, trigger, it could be, we're all living in this stress right now. That could be the trigger to activate someone's disease, right? Yeah. And we I've don't know. Yeah. Stress that patients have been under with, you know, being separated from family and friends. Um, you know, unfortunately, I've had a lot of patients that have lost family members and haven't been able to have funerals or go to funerals and their grandkids in other countries or states and all money problems or all of those combined and their mouths have suffered. Mm -hmm. We've really seen it. So stress is really, we're learning more and more in medical science, in dentistry and in in everything, what stress does to our bodies and it's pretty severe. And so our patients are really feeling it. And going back to what we're talking about too, like this has been a stressful year for us as clinicians. So Think about that. Be kind to yourself. Yeah. And, um, yeah. To yourself and to each other. Yeah. Be kind to each other and to yourself because it's been a tough year and we see stress manifest itself orally in our patients all the time. How's it manifesting in you? What, yeah. what, what's what's the thing for you? How's it how's it manifesting? What's the negative that you're getting from? Because there probably is one and, and you need to make sure that you're trying to balance it. And and you know and work against that negative by trying to you know we couldn't take the stress away this year it's just no. there so how do we manage it? because until COVID goes away I think that stress is going to be eating away at us a lot like it's just it's there it's here it's constant and it's chronic yeah <laughs> so what yeah. what are some of the takeaways we can wrap our 2020 recap up with so what are, what are some of let's say like five things that our disruptors can start initiating for 2021 to try to make the best of our next year. Know your worth. Yes. You are essential. You are worthy. Like, And you are a huge player in that practice. Realize how important you are. I think that got lost a little bit this year. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, when you firmly believe in something, and you ask for something, knowing, pep talk yourself before you go in there and and I am worthy, I am deserving of this and don't explain, this is what I need, this is why I need it. Stop talking. Just like you do with your patients, with your case presentation, problem, consequence, solution. Doctor, this is the problem, here's the consequence. I've come up with the solution. Do all the work before you even sit down and ask have it all there in front of you. And what popped in my head before when Tabitha was talking about consumables in the practice and, and doing those calculations to see how long it would last, I hate math. And as you're saying that, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't want to do that. But you know what? You know who would and you know who's really good at it? Your sales rep. So yeah. put them on that. Put them, here's what I need. I'm going to present this to the doctor. Tell me how long, this is what I want. 
how many cycles of sterilization will it last? Have them do that work for you. Well, and they'll happily do it for you. Right. So outsource that crap, people. <laughs> Make it easier for yourself. They want that sale. Of course they're yeah. going to do it. So yeah, you know, they know it. They've probably written it before, so they can easily help you with it. Yeah, in their laptop. It's already done, most likely. So I would definitely say outsource that and and come to the doctor with all of the work already done, you know, and, and make sure that you schedule a time, you know, you, you also want to pick the right time to have that conversation. Don't, don't let it get brushed under the rug. But uh, you know, when, he, when he or she is running down the hall to go do an exam, that's not when you're like, Hey, listen, I need new scalers, you know, like you need to pick a time where they can focus on the conversation and you're, you're going to have to pitch them. So you know, practice it a little bit and make sure that you know what you want to say and you have a clear and concise way. And if your doc is not the decision maker on that, then make sure the manager or, you know, whoever is, is in that meeting as well. The wife, the, who knows, you know, the work wife, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's another episode. <laughs> That's totally another episode right there. But, um, you know, we, we also, I want to say that another tip would be to, and this kind of plays off of knowing your worth, but stand up for your operatory and your patients and, and get to the point where this is not negotiable. This is what I need to do my job. And hey, you know what? If you're not going to get this for me and you're going to make my job harder, my rate just went up five bucks. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with that. And I said it already tonight, but be kind to yourself. If you need to drive to a McDonald's car park and cry into a Big Mac, it's fine. <laughs> it's okay to do that. But it's also, it's also okay to go to YouTube and put on a yoga video. Yeah. And do 10 minutes of yoga and breathe and center yourself and stretch. Take care of your body. Go to the chiropractor if that's what you do yeah. to maintain your health have that, you know, one Big Mac isn't going to kill you, but try to eat healthy on the on a regular basis. Feed your body the nutrients that it needs so that you can perform optimally. Listen, we can do a whole um, episode on eating because I, I already came to dental hygiene with an eating disorder and, and dental hygiene does not help people with eating disorders at all <laughs> because you pretty much live in a cycle of starve and binge. While yeah. you practice. <laughs> so we can have an episode on that as well. Um, and, and take care of yourself because yeah. we have to give so much to people. We're, we're such caregivers that if you don't fill yourself up, you have nothing left to give. So please take that time for self-care because it is so important. And I and, think that's what he's taught us is time out is important. Time with our families is important. We were too busy all of us for this mm -hmm. year. So as we head back, as we start to ramp back up again more, as we start to go back to the new normal, whatever it is, take the lessons from what we learned this year. We don't need to be perpetually busy. We don't need to have to right. say yes. I'm giving myself the pep talk. You don't have to say yes to everything. It's <laughs> like, true. Get, get some time, get some balance because um, it's important and it's okay to say no, that doesn't serve me and I'm going to take a break. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Because it is, it's, it's, it goes back to, you could be busy, but not productive. Mm -hmm. Right. So I would rather work smarter than harder and be 
really productive, maybe have less output of butts in the chair, but maybe produce twice as much for each patient. I, I think every practice would want a hygienist who wants to do work that way. Is it going to be every single patient? Of course not. But when you look at the statistics of our country, as far as the U.S. goes, 70% of our patient population has some form of periodontal disease. But I could tell you without even doing a metric check that 70% of the coding that goes out of every office is for healthy, it's not for diseased mouths, it's more so for healthy mouths. So that's where we really need to dig into the science and the system that we have, what we in dentistry deem as normal with allowing insurance and a third party to dictate care, that it's not working and it hasn't worked, it's not beneficial to practices. So I hope that in the light of COVID, we also shine light on the things that haven't worked in dentistry. And that's definitely one of them. And I hope that more dentists start to see that and see that it's not, it, it's not beneficial for your practice to continue this way. So hopefully things will change in that aspect to moving forward. I don't think it's going to, we're going to see it in 2021, but I'm hoping that years moving forward of that, we will definitely see those changes. So what, what are other two things that we want to leave everybody with? Set some goals. Think about what you want to achieve next year, um, career-wise or personally, and and work on it. You know, there's too many times where I think we all say I'm too busy or I can't do that. Well, what do you need to change to make it happen? What are the goals that you want to have? You know, for me this year, it was getting some study finished, and I was like, well, it's COVID. I've got the time. <laughs> like, you know, now's the time. You know, what do you want to achieve? Or is it you just want to do a painting class once a month? Or it doesn't have to be academic or work-wise, but Set some goals so that you can feel good about what you're achieving. Absolutely. You can be like, yeah, this is what I wanted this year and I got it. Maybe it's to spend more time at home. Maybe it's, to, you know, to sleep more. Like it's whatever the goal is for you. But, but set, have some goals that, that you can look at how can I make changes in my life to make it better for me. Right. And make them measurable. Like don't write a goal down that says I want to be happier. Okay. Yeah. Well, how do you measure that? <laughs> you know, not every day you're going to be happier. Does that mean you failed that day? No, of course it doesn't. You know, yeah. so make them measurable. And when it comes to your, you know, if you're talking about personal goals and professional goals, your professional goals, start trying to track your numbers too. you know, have be able to see what your production is for the day, the month, the quarter, the year, um, track your two income streams that you have for the practice because it's your production and it's also what comes out of your room and goes into the uh, doctor's schedule. So those are ways that you can track yourself. And when you want to sit down and have that performance review and salary discussion, now you have all these measurable things to present. So that's something that I would definitely encourage hygienists to start working on for 2021. Yeah, understand your production and your numbers because if you want to go into a meeting to say you want more money or you want to make changes, why and how? Yes. And if you don't have those two answers, I wouldn't give it to you either. <laughs> exactly. You know, would you give it to somebody else if they didn't have those answers for you? So, you know, go in with my production is this and I'm making this and so there's room for me to have this. Like Because... What happens if you go into that meeting and you don't know your production? Actually, you're not producing that well. You just assumed you were. Right, right. And some um, offices are really great at making that common knowledge. And others, it's like hush, hush and quiet. Oh, yeah. 
So, and I mean, any practice management program, you can go on YouTube and it'll tell you how to do it. So it's not, the information is out there to find it's not that hard. And then when you have a really good argument with, look how much money I'm making you and how little I'm making, it's when you've got the figures there, it's hard to then go, oh, no, 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 I'm not making enough. No, no, I have the figures, look. So, you know, it can really work in your favour when you understand your numbers, when you understand your downtime, when you understand that. And there's plenty of courses you can go do or YouTube or things like that or speak to other people to get help with that. Um, You know, I've learnt this from working at great practices where they were open books and they explained it all to you, but I have worked at practices where they've been, I don't want to talk about this and because they don't want you to know because... you know, ask for a back rise. <laughs> but it's easy to figure out. I just, when you can, if they won't let you get into reports, you can run a spreadsheet on Excel on your computer and figure it all out. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. But on this, on the, in the same token, with the year of the virtual CE, yeah. consuming CEs on uh, Zoom webinars, like we have definitely been Zoomed out this year. But Consuming it is one thing, taking action is a whole nother thing. So I would encourage you to, if you've learned something that you were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Because I I mean, for so many years in my career too, I would have that course and come back the next day and practice all fired up and ready to start implementing these things I learned. And then you get pushback from the patient, you get pushback from the doctor, you get pushback from the business team, and you kind of just give up. But don't yeah. let other people stop you from something that you truly believe in and find a way to work around it. That pushback doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. It means you're still working it out. Yeah. And I I did an episode on uh, in the new and unstuck group a while back about being an expert at something. Being an expert at something doesn't mean that you're like, you know, you just woke up one morning and you had all this knowledge about a particular topic. It means that you messed it up a thousand bajillion times to figure out better ways to do it. So don't take that first, like, oh, this didn't go smooth and throw the towel in. It's just, it's, it's the first step. Learn, adjust, grow. hundred percent. And I think last takeaway, do something to help someone else. It's been a tough year. So if you can help someone up, if you can help them out, maybe it's even just taking them for a coffee and because they're feeling a bit isolated and alone. But, you know, how can we make somebody else's day a little bit easier? It's been a really crappy year and um, a little bit of kindness can sometimes change someone's day, week, year. Like You don't know how bad someone could internally be feeling and um, something really simple can be really, really huge. So I think if you've got the opportunity to just be kind to someone. I love that. You know, give kindness out in, in large doses. <laughs> and it could be so easy. Something that I like to do once in a while, well, I try to do it at least. Any, I don't go through the drive-thru of Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks very often, but when I do, and I go to pay for mine, I say, I'm going to pay for the coffee for the person behind me. 
Yeah. And you drive away and you never even get to see their face. But I mean, I've had that done for me and it is just like, oh my gosh, this is like my day. Like it just changes your mood immediately. And it's such a small act of kindness. So I agree. Random acts of kindness. They don't need to be giant gestures, but even just holding the door open for somebody because people don't do that stuff anymore. You know, I know we still need to stay far away from each other, but you know, like just showing kindness is so tremendous. So be kind to each other. So it's funny (laughs) when we end on kindness and we're like, hey, disruptors, thanks for listening. (laughs) We're kind of disruptors. (laughs) For listening and joining in with us. And um, we really appreciate all of your kindness and underestimate how meaningful those messages have been to us because they've actually been huge. And, you know, we've been having some rough days as well. And so when you get to open up your Facebook or your Instagram message uh, and there's something really nice there, it's been a huge boost for both of us. Yeah. So thank you so much for those again. And, you know, we so appreciate the time that you take A, to listen, and then B, to go and, you know, leave a review and write that or send that message to us. We know that's taking moments out of your day and time is a commodity and it's so precious. So thank you so much. We, we It really does just make our day. It's like getting that free coffee in the drive-thru. <laughs> 